perhaps God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Amen. Uh, Hebrews is a great book uh, to read when you've been reading in the Old Testament uh, for some time, maybe especially uh, some of the more difficult books. I remember as a young Christian uh, coming across uh, the book Search the Scriptures by Alan Stubbs, and it's a wonderful book. It's probably out of print by now, but it's a, a set of uh, readings to take you through the Bible in a course of three years, and Old Testament readings are, are followed on by the parts of the New Testament which illuminate what you've been reading. And so I remember uh, following readings in Leviticus, which is not an easy book, uh, we read in Hebrews. And uh, the questions and some of the notes just brought uh, Leviticus alive as it was seen through the lens of the book of Hebrews, which has so much to say about the, the significance of the Old Testament ceremonial uh, law. But Hebrews is also a, a great book to turn to because it's a book full of encouragement. Uh, it's essentially one long word of encouragement for the spiritually jaded. And I guess that description at some point or other uh, suits most of us in our Christian life. We come to these points where uh, we are like the, the long distance runner who's contemplating settling for a seat by the trackside and a long, cool drink rather than crossing the final line. And the letter to the Hebrews comes to us like an encouraging father who's shouting from the sidelines, carry on, son, you can make it, you can get to the end line. Uh, these are Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who are feeling the going rough and are looking wistfully at fellow Jews who haven't uh, yet embraced Christianity uh, and whose religion seems to be so much more visible, so much more substantial. Uh, they are such a new uh, faith that they, they haven't even uh, become part of the uh, name Christian church. They are still called the way at this point. And they are looking on to the Jews who still have a, a, an altar, a physical altar. They have... Uh, all of the, the tangible uh, expressions of the Old Testament ritual. And there is nothing more tangible in the Christian church than the bread and the wine. So the, Hebrew, the epistle to the Hebrews uh, covers uh, a great deal of Old Testament ground that uh, every Christian needs to be familiar with. And brings it into uh, its new covenant application. One of the commentators in Hebrews, Philip Edsholm Hughes, writes, if there is a widespread unfamiliarity with the epistle to the Hebrews and its teaching, it is because so many adherents of the church have settled for an undemanding and superficial association with the Christian faith. Yet, 
it was to arouse just such persons from the lethargic state of compromise and complacency into which they had sunk and to incite them to persevere wholeheartedly in the Christian conflict that this letter was originally given. It is a tonic for the spiritually debilitated. So here we have a tonic, a spiritual tonic uh, for us this evening. The letter to the Hebrews is uh, problematic in one or two areas which are not in themselves very important, but one of them is uh, who wrote it. It's not quite clear who wrote it. If you have an authorised version, then uh, the the heading, the superscription will say the uh, epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Uh, The trouble was that that was not uh, in the original. That was simply something which was added much later. The manuscripts don't have uh, any indication of authorship. And it's probably fair to say that the vast majority of uh, conservative scholars today uh, don't think that Paul uh, wrote it. Although it's not impossible that he may have done so. However, the the style of the writing uh, is quite different from uh, some of Paul's letters, the ones that we know to be Paul's letters. So, uh, you know, if you compare what we read in Hebrews with, for example, Romans, which we've been in for a good while, there's quite a difference in style as well as content. Uh, The front runners, well, some think that Barnabas may have written it. other, another contender is Apollos. I know Apollos, who was uh, a mighty auditor and was instructed by Priscilla and Aquila in the faith. Uh, others think it might have been a sermon of Paul's, which was uh, delivered uh, maybe in Aramaic and transcribed into Greek by Luke. Luke is another possibility. But essentially, we do not know. And so it's safe is simply to, to speak of the writer uh, of the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, we're not sure either to whom the letter was sent, although uh, towards the end of the book, uh, the words, those from Italy salute you, suggest that it might have been a letter written to uh, Italian Christians, maybe written to Rome, uh, because then that, that, that kind of verse would have significance. You know, they, uh, there were people uh, with the writer who had come from the place to which the letter was being sent, i.e. Italy. However, the writer, whoever the writer was, goes straight to the subject of his theme, which is the supremacy of Christ. And especially in these opening verses, Christ is the climax of (coughs) God's revelation. God has spoken. God has spoken in various ways. But Jesus is the great climax of God's word to us. So let's uh, look at these four verses uh, in uh, this uh, way. First of all, notice that God has spoken. That is a fact. God is a speaking God. We sometimes uh, might think, you know, when we're going through a difficulty, if only a God had a word only had a word from God. Well, we have a word from God. He is a God who speaks. Uh, in Francis Schaeffer's uh, uh, words, uh, God is there and he is not silent. God is a God who is continually uh, speaking. Uh, God speaks the word and 
there is light. God said, let there be light. Uh, God said, let there be an expanse beneath the waters to separate water from water. And it was so. The word of God is a word of power. And the psalmist in Psalm 19 tells us but another way in which God is always speaking. And that is through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And the psalmist, that this, this part of the psalmist telling us that God is continually speaking to us through what he has made. There is a continual, uh, almost barrage of communication from the universe. Psalmist is saying that God speaks every time the stars come out. You look across the vastness of the universe and you say, God is speaking to me about something of the vastness and the greatness and the power of his character. Or you zoom right in and you watch a little vole uh, scurrying away from the thatch of grass in which it's built its nest. Or you see a spider's web uh, shining silver on a frosty morning. And you think, God is a God who uh, has made all things uh, so well and with such detail and cares for the detail of his creation. He's a God of the cosmos. He's the God of the atom. And so there's this continual revelation from creation attesting to the fact that there is a God and speaking about his character and therefore summoning us to worship. But the revelation that's being spoken about here is... Not general revelation from creation. It's what we call special revelation. It's uh, that word that we get from God which tells us of things that we would not understand from simply looking at the world around us. We need uh, his additional word. Bible scholars have uh, looked at the Bible and they've observed that God's special revelation... uh, it's recorded in the Old Testament. It isn't a steady drip, drip, drip of revelation, but uh, it comes in great bursts. The Bible is divided into great epochs of revelation, which God uh, takes the people, as it were, a big step forward in their understanding of God and his ways. Uh, so God speaks in the Garden of Eden. There's a word of revelation given uh, to Adam. There's revelation given to Noah. Revelation given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The revelation given to Moses, we've been uh, reading in that. Then the prophetic period, the great era of the prophets, beginning with Samuel. So God is speaking words to people and through people, speaking directly. But God's also speaking through acts. He's speaking through his mighty deeds. Speaking through uh, the, the flood, uh, which uh, is explained uh, to Noah by the Lord. Uh, 
He's speaking through the great act of the Exodus, which is explained through the prophets and the Psalms. And part of this diversity, this variety of different ways that the writer speaks about in the opening verses is the interplay of word and deed, revelation. God's revealing himself through a mighty act. The Psalms are often uh, speaking about God's mighty acts. And then God sends a word to explain his mighty act. Word and deed, revelation, deed and word paired together. So God does something, then he explains the significance of his word. Why is there such a big outpouring of revelation in the time of the prophets? Well, because uh, God has done a, a new thing in establishing the monarchy, the kingship. And the kings who sit in David's throne are pointing towards a greater king. And so the act of kingship is being explained by the prophets. And then we get to the end of the Old Testament and we come to the uh, prophet Malachi and Malachi has a word uh, following uh, the return from exile and then for 450 years there is no prophetic word. There's radio silence as it were. And the reason for that is that the next event in God's calendar will be the coming of Jesus. And then, of course, there's an outpouring of revelation. There's an outpouring of, of song. Angels sing. Angels speak. And the word himself made flesh brings the good news of the kingdom. So, word and deed. The diversity of revelation to word and deed. And then, within the prophetic revelation itself, uh, the, the prophets who speak uh, from God, there's huge diversity as well. Think of the variety of different prophets and the different ways in which they communicated. You've got Isaiah, who was from the priestly, uh, the, the princely class. He was an aristocrat, and it's reflected in uh, his, his writing. Uh, Ezekiel was a priest. Uh, Jeremiah uh, has, comes with his rather gloomy uh, disposition. They communicated through preaching, uh, they prefaced their message with the words, Thus says the Lord. So they were not speaking on their own account. They were conscious that they were channels for God to speak. It was a direct word from God. They communicated through poetry, as in the Psalms. They communicated uh, through music or, or, or song. Uh, Isaiah 5, for example, you have the song of the vineyard. Uh, there's drama in the way that they communicate revelation. Think of Ezekiel and the dramatic terms that Ezekiel uh, uh, was told to use in communicating God's revelation. Uh, there was the, the 15 month long one man drama where uh, Ezekiel made a, a clay model of Jerusalem and lay on his side. Uh, before this clay model for 390 days and then turned over and laid on his other side for 40 days uh, to show that the 390 years of Judah rebelling uh, was going to be followed by uh, an exile uh, for 40 years of punishment. So Ezekiel 
uh, this dramatic prophet. Uh, Hosea, whose very life story, his own circumstances, became uh, a drama of revelation. Uh, Hosea was commanded to marry uh, Gomer, an adulterous wife, and his heart was broken. Uh, She is going off pursuing other lovers. She is unfaithful to him. And uh, Hosea is uh, going through with this unfaithful wife uh, the anguish that uh, the Lord is experiencing with the infidelity of his people Israel. Uh, He is a walking message to Israel of how God feels about the way they're living. You want to know what it's like for God to have a people who go after other gods? Look at my prophet Hosea. And how his heart has been broken by Gomer. So all of this variety of revelation in the Old Testament. And Hebrews as it unrolls is going to take us to key passages and themes in the Old Testament. And show how they all point to God's final purpose. Which is to send his son Jesus Christ. And how he will be the fulfillment of all that uh, the prophets have spoken about. So, on this threshold of this book, which in so many ways has an Old Testament atmosphere, uh, we're challenged in the first place uh, as to how fully we know and value the Old Testament. Uh, We've said this in other contexts, but many Christians today really are New Testament believers. They, they don't uh, read the Old Testament, and if you picked up uh, their Bible, you would see that the, the New Testament part of their Bible was well-thumbed, and the Old Testament was still retaining its gilt edges because it hadn't been used terribly much. Uh, lots of Christians dipping into the Psalms on a regular basis, but really only reading in the New Testament. But God has spoken to us in diverse ways through the prophets in the past. And we as uh, Christians, believers in the whole Bible, need to be fully conversant with what God has said. uh, Because we only really understand the fullness of Christ and his salvation when we see it within the context of the Old Testament. Remember Paul's point about uh, Gentile Christians being dependent upon the nourishment that comes from the sap of the root. Well, the root is the Old Testament faith. Uh, We need to be people of the book, people who are familiar with the Old Testament and the prophets. God has spoken, and he's spoken in a variety of ways. Secondly, God has spoken in Christ. God has, in these last days, spoken to us by his Son. Now, this is telling us, actually, that God, in these days, has spoken to us in an altogether different kind of speaking. So there was, in the past, there was the prophets and different ways of communicating. But now he has spoken to us through his son. And in the Greek, in the original, uh, there's no article before son. So it could actually be read, uh, now he has spoken to us through sonship. Another mode of communicating altogether. Uh, It's in a category all of its own. Now, before by prophets, now by sonship. 
How is it so? How is it so different? Well, in the past, the prophets uh, testified to the coming of God's Son. But now, He has come and He has declared, I am the Son. The prophets testified to God's truth. Jesus is now declaring, I am the truth. John's Gospel uh, declares that we are uh, studying the one who himself is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Jesus has now become the focus of God's revelation. All that God has said up to the coming of Jesus Christ, his Son, has been in preparation for this. In the past, prophets, now, sonship, altogether new way of speaking. Others have said, I'll give you shepherds. Jesus has said, I am the good shepherd. Others have said, I'll give you light. Jesus comes and says, I am the light. Now that's why, uh, because God, having spoken to us today, is speaking to us in an altogether different way from prophets, why it's quite wrong-headed to think that there's some kind of shared truth with uh, other religions which deny Christ. You know, whether you know, they are uh, Muslims or Hindus or uh, cults within the kind of orbit of Bibles such as uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, which deny the, uh, the essential nature of Christ. They are denying uh, God's way of revelation. And therefore there is no common ground. It's only through Christ that God is truly known. Jesus exclusively, uniquely reveals God to us. In the past prophets, today through sonship, through Jesus the Son, God is revealed. Now, in the same way, Uh, we can miss the point when we diligently read our Bibles, Old Testament and New Testament, but without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, We can read a Bible uh, in an academic way, and many people do, without a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, and miss what God has to say. And the the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' day were doing uh, just that. Uh, You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So for all of their academic knowledge of the Old Testament, what we term the Old Testament and uh, the, the Talmud, all the, the teachings interpreting the Old Testament. They were blind as moles because they had no relationship with Jesus. They were shutting Jesus out of their lives. And it's the same again with uh, all those who uh, pay a lip service to Jesus, who want to make Jesus a prophet like Islam does, or who uh, want Jesus to be up there in a special category but not quite God, like Jehovah's Witnesses. In the absence of a living relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, there is no understanding because the Scriptures testify through a relationship with Jesus about whom they are written. Suppose you have bought 
a new car, a new Mercedes, and you've got, uh, you know, every reason to be excited about your new Mercedes and you want to read up about it before you, you go into this gleaming new German car and so you have a manual and you uh, read the manual and you make a study of the manual and uh, you want to really become conversant uh, with this, this car and so you uh, read it and uh, you begin to get a little bit of knowledge about the car and think, you know, be great if I could only read it in the original language. So you learn German and you read the, the manual in German and it's really, you know, it's beginning to get a, a bit of a hold of you, this study of the Mercedes. And, and then you think, well, maybe we might put even some of the, the parts of the, the German manual to song. So you've got some of the, the manuals now uh, part of your daily routine and you sing songs to this uh, German Mercedes. Uh, how ludicrous it would be if you had done all of these things uh, and the manual uh, became your be-all and end-all and yet you had never stepped into the car. You had never driven the car. That's like a relationship that many people have with the Bible. Uh, it's purely a formal or an academic uh, knowledge that they have and really there's no personal relationship without which there is no knowledge of the truth. You diligently search the scriptures and yet they are those which testify of me thirdly Jesus is superior to the prophets Jesus isn't just the end point of all that the prophets had to say he is marvelously superior to the prophets why so well because uh, unlike the prophets uh, he holds the boundaries of time he was there at the creation of the world and he has been appointed the heir of all things. That's not to say that uh, Jesus is in any sense subordinate and be called the heir of all things, but simply points to the fact that as a result of having purchased our salvation, he is to receive the homage of the nations. Uh, it's it's uh, Psalm 2, the Messianic Psalm. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. He is the beginning and the end of all. Secondly, unlike the prophets, uh, Jesus uniquely reveals God because he is God. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of of his being. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, or the imprint of his being. And the two, uh, the two pictures here, they complement one another. Uh, to say that he's the radiance of his being is stressing the identity of the Son with the Father. There is one God. Jesus is one with the Father. He's the radiance of his glory. And the exact representation of his being. Well, that's stressing his personhood. He is a distinct person. He is one with the Father. And yet, uh, uniquely the Son. The exact representation of his being. And he sustains all things as God. The reason why things hold together 
is because of the sun. He is if you like, the cosmic glue holding everything that we see uh, in its balance, in its poise, in working order. Everything proceeds through the sun. He's directing all things in our course. And finally, the sun superior to the, the greatest of all, the greatest of the prophets, because he, and not the prophets, has purified us from sin. He is the Savior. This is the great deed for which the word was given. Remember that, that principle, that the word is given for the deed. The prophetic word comes to explain the mighty act of God. And Jesus comes and he is combining both the word and the deed. He is the logos, the the word of God to us, because he is God's mighty act. God is acting in Christ Jesus. Jesus is explaining, he's speaking truth and understanding into his mighty action through the cross and the resurrection. He didn't come primarily to provide us with information. Jesus came to provide us salvation and he did that fully after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high it's a glorious picture because uh, a king who had become victorious who had conquered his enemies uh, sat down was pictured as uh, taking his rest after the the rigor of combat he sits down on the throne in the, the, the position of victory, victorious kingship. Here is Jesus, fresh from victory, seated now at the right hand of the majesty on high, superior to all who have ever uh, come before him in regard of, of, of prophets. Jesus' work is supreme, and so too Jesus revelation it's a full revelation there is no more revelation to be given than the revelation concerning Christ and his work again it's the the, this the principle of word revelation being given to interpret deed revelation the scriptures testify to God's mighty act in salvation through Jesus Christ all our new testament is doing is interpreting the word. What is the next great act that God will accomplish? The return of Jesus. And we look forward to that day. And because the word comes with the deed, we're not to expect additional special revelation beyond what has been given surrounding the deed that lies now behind us in history, the work of Jesus. Now, as we wind up, you can see that there are huge consequences in these verses. Straight away, there's there's that warning to keep Jesus central in our living and to avoid uh, two opposite errors. Uh, There is the the one error on on the one side the right side there's the error of going after external trappings uh, this was very much the, the temptation for the Hebrew Christians that the readership of this letter they were they felt deprived or they were made to believe that they were somehow inferior because they didn't have the, 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 
the, the temple or the synagogue ritual that the Jews that had been their fellow worshippers still enjoyed. They had a, a religion which was strangely absent of all of the, the drama and all of the, the, the solid uh, uh, aspects of, of worship. And you still find that today. <coughs> there are those who, who hanker after uh, uh, a more colourful, more dramatic, more visible, more tangible religion. There are plenty of people who have left evangelicalism, for example, for uh, Greek or Russian Orthodoxy or Roman Catholicism. Uh, sometimes it's for, out of a desire for uh, a greater historical continuity with the past. But often it's simply a hankering after that which is visible, which is external. And that was the temptation that faced the Hebrews. And then the other uh, uh, opposite temptation that uh, is more one that evangelicals are prone to uh, is the hankering after new prophetic revelation. And many people speak about receiving a direct word from God and sometimes resulting in bizarre action and claiming uh, justification from a special word from God. And such attitudes are quite commonplace in evangelical circles. Now, to deny that kind of thing, is that to say that God is silent? That God does not speak to us? <clears throat> of course not. We were saying earlier, God is speaking yet through his scriptures. The Holy Spirit's work then was inspiration. The Holy Spirit inspired prophets and inspired the writers of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit's work now is illumination. The Holy Spirit comes now and shines light upon the word once given. And suddenly, as we grapple with the word and take into account God's providence in our lives the path ahead seems clearer and without making extravagant claims that God has uh, directed us specifically to do this or to do that with a great degree of confidence we obey what God is telling us to do in his word and walking in obedience, we find light for the path. Amen. May God bless to us his holy word.